0: Um, so, at some point in your life, you've probably encountered a Bible. You probably have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles back there we'd love to give you. And uh, whether you've been given it at a graduation or whether you were in a hotel room and you were bored and you ended up just opening up a drawer and starting flipping through the Bible, at some point you probably run into this. Book. And you probably at some point in your life have had somebody like pick it up and maybe shake it at you and be like, You need to stop doing something because of what's in this book. Or maybe they've shook it at you and said, You need to start doing something because of what's in this book. And I remember the first time I encountered a Bible. My family weren't churchgoers, they didn't believe in Jesus. And uh, they, my mom started going to this little church at the end of the street, and she had all this guilt from some things she had done when she was younger. And she heard this message of Jesus that he freely forgives all who come to him and become a follower of Jesus. And, and so she's, she made this commitment to follow Jesus and was baptized. And she started reading her Bible. And I remember asking her, I'm like, what are you reading? And she's like, the Bible. And I'm like, can I have one? And so they got me a children's Bible, and the and the only thing about it is the exact same content as every other Bible, except it had these really horrible pictures in it, you know, like these weird painted pictures of the scenes from the Bible, and some of them were really graphic, like David cutting off the head of a giant. And I'm like, you know, as a kid, you're just like, whoa, these pictures are overwhelming. And I remember trying to read it, and I loved reading, so when they handed me this thick book, I wasn't intimidated by it, I was excited by it, and I was like, I'm gonna read this like every other book I read. I'm gonna start reading at the beginning and read through to the end. And so I started reading, and I'm like, none of this makes sense, there's all these weird names, none of the books are in chronological order, they seem to be repeating information, and then like stuff didn't seem to line up, and so I got a couple books in, and I'm like, What am i reading this isn't like any other book that you read where you start at the beginning and you read straight through in fact it seems sometimes like it was almost designed to be difficult to understand almost like it was uh, meant to be confusing with all these weird words and characters stories and but as i got older everybody kept telling me you need to be reading the bible like you would see this everywhere whether it was uh people around you or family members and everybody was telling me you need to be you need to be reading the bible but every time i tried to read the bible i was like this book is designed to be difficult it feels like to me like why can't i make any sense of this and you've probably seen some people say some things about the bible and you're like really? Or maybe you've experienced some things with the Bible and you're like, oh, maybe? I don't know about that. You've probably seen some things that don't make sense or seem confusing. If you've ever been to a protest, there's probably been people on both sides of the protest holding up signs with Bible verses on them. And you're like, how can they have a Bible verse on this side of the protest and a Bible verse on that side of the protest? You've probably seen politicians on television on both sides of the aisle misquote some bible verse to defend their policy that they just voted for or their law that they just put into law and there's been people who have died for this book and then at the same time there's been people who killed and use this book as an excuse for why they did it you know there's people who have taken this book and it was the emphasis or the impetus for them to go on crusades and kill innocent people and claim land in the middle east but it's the exact same book that led some people to start hospitals and to sacrifice their time and resources to create places of healing that affect everyone. And then you have people who say, you know what, this isn't just a book. It's the literal words of God. The, the words that the creator of all the universe put down and then they slap those words onto a coffee mug and they say, this is sixteen ninety nine. you need this. And it seems like there's all these contradictions and all these weird misunderstandings and you're like what is it? And so over the next few weeks we're going to talk about what the Bible is, how to use it, and why we should care because I think that if you misunderstand what the Bible is, you will misuse it. And I think there's a lot of misuse in our world today surrounding the Bible and sometimes there's a lot of misuse about how we use the Bible even in churches, even among people who follow Jesus. And so you might say, Alex, I don't believe the Bible at all. I think it's just a bunch of religious jargon that's thrown together from old guys that lived a long time ago. Well, hang with me because as the series goes on, we're gonna talk about why I think the Bible is trustworthy, why I think that it matters, and why I think it can transform your life. But we're starting out with this question, what is the Bible? And over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about some ways of just kind of wrapping our arms around what this book is we need to understand what it is, if we're going to use it correctly, if we're going to understand it. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you've ever flipped it open and looked at the index before, you probably recognize that the Bible's broken into two parts. What are those two parts? Old and New Testament, Old and New testament. yeah. That's the, not like most people know that, if you've had any experience with the Bible. But what's weird to us is we don't use the word testament probably this week you probably never used the word testament unless you were talking about the bible in some way if anything you used it maybe if you encountered the last will and testament of someone right when someone dies and they're reading the will they see this is the last will and testament of john smith and he's left you this the weird the word testament is strange to us outside of the bible we don't really see it but we could use the word testament or we could use another word another bible word a sacred covenant, that's the testament, or to put it in everyday words, it's essentially a promise. It's a promise. And so when the Bible is divided into two parts, it's divided into an old promise and a new promise. Part of this takes place under an old promise and part of it takes place under a new promise. And so you can describe the Bible like this. The Bible is a record of two promises that God made to mankind. It's essentially two binding promises that God made to mankind. That's what the Bible is. We've got an old promise and a new promise. If we want to sum up the whole thing, it's the record of two promises. Now, there's some promises under those two promises, but there's two big reality-changing promises that God made to Mankind. And this is really the big idea of the book that there's these two promises. One is the Old Promise, one is the New. One is the Old Testament, one is the New Testament. And the Old Testament covers the history of why mankind needs an Old Promise. It kind of describes here's what happens, here's the promise that God makes, and then people begin to grapple with that promise. And that's the Old Testament. And then the New Testament describes how the old promise has been fulfilled and how there's a new promise. And it begins to describe how people grapple and experience the new promise. How they begin to understand it and relate to it. Both promises, though, fall under this central theme. And I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, and it took me a long time to really get someone to actually tell me, what is the central theme of the Bible? Like if somebody walked up to you on the street and they said, hey, could you tell me what the central theme of the Bible is? I don't know about you, but for a long time, I would struggle to do that. I'd be like, I know it's some piece, you know, there's a couple of these ideas that I know are in there, but what is the central theme that the Bible is trying to convey? The central theme of the Bible is this, enjoying the presence of God. And that's really the theme of the entire Bible. What is the purpose of life? To enjoy the presence of God. Of God, and the old and new promises both talk about how we can experience the presence and enjoy the presence of God. Every passage in this book, every letter that's recorded in here, every prophecy, every poem is actually about enjoying the presence of God. And we'll talk about how that applies in the old promise and in the new. So. What part of the book is the Old Promise, and what is the Old Promise, right? That's what we want to know. If this is divided into two promises, and they're both about enjoying the presence of God. What's the Old Promise? Uh, the books of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi are the Old Testament, or to put it into everyday words, the Old Promise. These are the same books that our Jewish friends use, the exact same books. They order them differently, but they're looking at the exact same books. They use the Old Testament. They call it the Tanakh. We call it the Old Testament or the Old Promise. They call it the Tanakh. Now the Old Promise is this. Man has been separated from enjoying the presence of God. And so God made this Old Promise in the Old Testament. And that is that God promises to establish a people who will be a platform for his special person who will restore his presence to humanity. Now that's a big promise. And there's a lot of little promises that he makes underneath that. But essentially what he promises is that he is going to send someone who is going to restore his presence. And he's going to send that person through a special people that he's going to protect. And so the old promise chronicles how humanity started enjoying the presence of God at the beginning of everything. And then humanity said, I wonder if we can enjoy life without God. And in losing the enjoyment of the presence of God, chaos and tragedy rain down into the human world. And then God makes this promise. I'm going to establish a special people and I'm going to protect them so that they're a platform for this special person I'm going to send and he's going to restore my presence with humanity. That's the Old Testament. And so what you have is God establishes the Israel people, the Hebrews, the Jews, and he protects them And he says, I'm going to send a special person to you who's going to restore my presence. And the Jewish people called this person Messiah, Savior. And they were waiting for this person uh, to come. So that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Promise. So what's the New Promise? The books of the Bible from Matthew to Revelation are the New Testament or the New Promise. Now our Jewish friends do not accept these books as Scripture. They accept the Old Testament, just like we do, and they say the Tanakh is from God. But the New Testament, they don't. Why? Because they feel like the old promise hasn't yet been fulfilled. We believe the Old Testament, the old promise has been fulfilled, and so we have a new promise called the New Testament. They don't accept the New Testament because in their minds, God still hasn't sent his Messiah, his special person, so that we can enjoy the presence of God again, because they rejected Jesus as Messiah those who accepted Jesus as Messiah wrote down this new promise that we'll talk about here in a few minutes when we look in Luke 22. The new promise is this. Jesus brought the presence of God to us. Remember what Jesus said, what we always talk about at Christmas time. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. He brought the presence of God to us. We can live in the presence of God when we become disciples or students of Jesus. When we enter into the life of jesus we can enjoy the presence of god and so you have in the old testament god says i'm going to create a people and i'm going to protect them so they can be a platform so i can send jesus so that you can enjoy my presence again and then jesus comes fulfilling the old promise and he makes this new promise if you enter into my life you can enjoy the presence of Now we see the beautiful imagery of the Old and New Testaments coming together in a passage in the New Testament in Luke 22, and that's what we're going to look at this evening. Luke was a follower of Jesus, but he didn't follow Jesus when Jesus was alive. He became a follower after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. And what he did was he heard the story of Jesus, and he began to investigate the story by interviewing the people who were firsthand witnesses. And so Luke didn't see these things, but he went and interviewed the people who saw things. He was, a, he was a doctor at the time, but he actually acted like an investigative journalist, and he went and interviewed all these people, and he wrote the book of Luke, which was the account of Jesus' life, and then he wrote the book of Acts, which was an account of what people started doing with this new promise after Jesus left. And in Luke 22, he records this about Jesus, uh, right before Jesus dies. And in Luke 22, starting in verse 13, it says, so they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And so Jesus had told his 12 closest followers, what the church sometimes calls the apostles, he had told them that they should go and prepare this Passover feast. And then verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share this among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And so, Passover, this important Jewish celebration, was a festival or a feast to celebrate an old promise. Um, situation. It was to celebrate the supernatural rescue of Israel out of Egypt. It was God keeping his old promise because he said, I'm going to protect this people. Egypt had captured them and enslaved them and they celebrated this to remind themselves that God kept his old promise to them and was still keeping his old promise to them. And so essentially what happened was Um, God told the the Egyptians, let the Israelites go. They're my people, and they're going to be my platform for my special person. And the Egyptians said, no, you know what? They're building good things for us. We don't want to let them go. And God said, if you don't let them go, death is going to come to your nation. And God said, if you believe, then put blood over your door, and you'll be protected when death comes. And so the Jewish people said, we believe you, God. And they put blood over their door. And the Egyptians mocked them and scoffed at them. And then it says the angel of death passed over Egypt and all the firstborn of the Egyptians died and all the Israelites were protected because they had put blood over their door. And so each year to remember the old promise that God was protecting them as a people because they were a special platform for the Messiah to come, they would have this festival. They would have the Passover meal. And what they would do is they would eat flat bread Because they had to run out in the middle of the night because the Egyptians were so heartbroken when death came. They said, just get out of here. And so they gathered up their things and they fleed. They didn't have time for their bread to rise because they didn't have time for the yeast in it to rise. So they ate it flat. And then they would drink red wine because it represented the blood that was put over the door. And so each year at Passover, they would celebrate that death had passed them over, that God was protecting them. He was keeping the old promise. And so every year when Jewish people would celebrate Passover, what they were celebrating was God has kept the old promise and is still keeping the old promise. This was an important reminder of who they were as a people. They were a platform for the special person who was coming into the world. This person who would restore the ability for humanity to enjoy his presence. But Jesus here says something really crazy. In verse 16, he says, For I tell you, I will not eat the Passover again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he says the same thing in verse 18. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Essentially what he is saying is the old promise is about to be fulfilled. And I'm not going to eat this and drink this again until you can enjoy the presence of God. The kingdom here is a representation of God's presence and power. It represents us being able to enjoy the presence of God. And then in verse 19 And 20, Jesus does something radical here. He says, from now on, Passover is not about the old promise. He says, from now on, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. It's no longer a celebration of the old promise. It's now a celebration of a new promise, me. I'm fulfilling the old promise. The presence of God is going to be available to you through me. And now the Passover meal is going to be a celebration of the new promise that you can enjoy the presence of God by entering into my life. And so he makes this new promise, this new covenant. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood in verse 20, which is poured out for you. He said, this is going to fulfill the old promise, my blood. And it's going to be a new promise to you that you can enjoy the presence of God through my life and death and resurrection. And so anytime I open up the Bible, the first thing I'm asking myself is, is this an old promise or is this a new promise? How, where did this fall? Is this in the Old Testament or is this in the New Testament? Is this talking about protecting a people who are going to be a platform for Jesus Or is this talking about how we can enter into the life of Jesus to enjoy the presence of God? Sometimes people will point out a passage in the Old Testament and they'll say, what do you think about this, Alex? How can your loving God allow this? And I look and I say, oh, that's in the Old Testament. He's about protecting a people because they're going to be a platform for a person. And so it helps me see that passage in its proper context. What was his promise in the Old Testament? I'm going to protect this people. And if anyone comes against this people, I am going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them because I'm protecting this people because I'm sending Jesus through this people. And so when people point to a verse in the New Testament, I'm looking at it and saying, how does this fit into the new promise that by entering into the life of Jesus, I can enjoy the presence of God By understanding that the Bible is really the collection of two big promises to humanity, it helps me recognize the passage that I'm looking at and how I should be thinking about it. Now, I love that the central theme of the Bible is not experiencing the presence of God, but enjoying the presence of God. It's not just being able to see God or understand God or have knowledge about Him, but it's actually enjoying the presence of God, wanting to be with God, wanting to enjoy time with God. When we become students of Jesus, we will love what Jesus loved, and it says that Jesus loved his heavenly Father. Jesus, God the Son, loved God the Father. If we live and love like Jesus, we're going to live in the presence of God like Jesus did, and we're going to love the presence of the Father like he And so Jesus tells his disciples here, he tells his followers, I want you to keep doing this. I want you to do this to remember me. I want you to take bread. But he says, no longer are you thinking about Egypt. Now you're thinking about my body. And he says, I want you to take wine. And no longer are you thinking about the blood of a lamb over a doorpost. But you're thinking about my blood on a cross. Because this is my new promise written in my blood. He says, that old promise was written in the blood of the sacrifice of goats and animals because they were a picture of what was going to come. But he says, this new promise I have written with my very blood that you can enjoy the presence of God. You can enjoy God's presence in your everyday life if you become my student, if you become my disciple, if you enter into the life of Christ. And so tonight, we're going to do exactly what Jesus asks us to do. We're going to partake in communion. And we're not doing it to remember the old promise. We're doing it because Jesus has written a new promise. I'm gonna invite Darby to come up first and and then I'll pray. But in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to take a piece of this bread and dip it into the uh, juice. And I want you, when you do that, to just thank Jesus that he's written a new promise, that he fulfilled the old promise. And now we have the opportunity to experience the presence of God. We have the ability to enjoy the presence of God because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Bible and thank you for how you've told us about our need for you and your great love for us and the great lengths that you went through so that we could enjoy your presence. Thank you for going to the cross and dying in our place so that we might follow in your footsteps as your disciples. Lord, thank you for this reminder because our tendency is to forget. But we live in the, the reality of the new promise. And many times we act oblivious to it or we ignore it or we become so distracted or entertained or driven that we forget that we have access to the presence of God at any time. God, overwhelm us with your presence. Let us not just know you, but let us enjoy you. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus would pray.